listening to Giving a Fuck is the New Black, and I'm your host, Joe Lorenz. Join me and my guests each episode as we endeavour to give several serious fucks and discuss climate change, intersectionality, conscious lifestyle, politics, and of course, sustainability. And now welcome to my first guest, the very wonderful Aja Baba, who is a writer and a sustainability and intersectionality consultant living in London. Aja's work centres around fashion, yet looking at it through the lens of feminism, race, sustainability, ethics, social movements and politics, because yes, everything is political. P.S. She probably loves your dog. Today, Aja and I will be chatting about the sustainable side of fashion and how it intersects with some pretty massive issues, such as climate change and exploitation. But don't worry, we'll also be bringing the laughs. So um, welcome, lovely Aja. How are you? And how are you staying sane? Have you killed your husband or is he okay in coronavirus age as well? So the funny thing is, like, obviously we have our, our moments of bickering, like most couples. But I find that because we can't go anywhere, we're forced to communicate, which I think has been kind of good for us in this way. It's good. Before it's like, I'm leaving. Well, whatever. And then it's like, okay, let's just shove it under the rug and never talk about it again. But it's like, oh, God, we have to talk about it because we can't leave. I know. It's forced therapy on couples. It's kind of brilliant. (laughs) I wanted to know exactly how you define um, sustainable fashion. Me personally, when I think of sustainable fashion, I think about systems that are, in the words of Celine Simon of Study Hall, good for the earth, good for the people. If it's not good for either of those things, then it's not sustainable. So I'm looking at the entire cycle of your garment from the materials that go into it and how it's grown to the way the people are treated within the system to what happens at the end of the life cycle of your garment. If I don't have those things, then to me, that's not a sustainable system because what are you actually trying to sustain? Mm. Do you find that you have to search for that kind of information from the brands that you're interested in? Or do you find that brands that are naturally sustainable will be forthcoming with that information without you having to ask? The latter. I find that sustainability isn't something that you can add to the end of your production line. It's something that has to be in the core of your business. If it's not in the core of your business, then it's something that you're probably using as a marketing tool. Mm. And so for me, the brands that are the most sustainable, put the information out there, let you know they, they've started a brand with this intent at the core of their brand. And so, yeah, I feel like For the brands that are interested in sustainability, you don't have to look very hard to get all the information about their sustainability plans and how their business is not just helping them, but helping every person within the supply chain. Right. This um, raises another thing that I know you've written about with sustainable and ethical fashion. There's so much more of it these days, which is, of course, brilliant, but it does open up the area for a whole lot of greenwashing. Recent example would be transparency versus sustainability. (laughs) Um, Why is it so dangerous to confuse these two areas? Because transparency only means that you've you've told people what you're doing. Like, you can be transparent (laughs) about, like... Oh, You're yeah. being assholes. Yeah, exactly. I'm being an asshole. Oh, look how transparent I am. Like, it doesn't <laughs> make what I'm doing a good thing. It just means that I've opened up the, the, I, I've told people what I'm doing, you know, like, an honest hey, jerk. I, I just kick you in the shins, but hey, I'm transparent, you know, so when we give out participation awards for transparency, that's like, that isn't even a bar worth stumbling over. And also like, the the small brands are transparent at their core because they have to be. I almost feel like smaller brands are held to a much higher standard than the bigger brands because they have a connection with the people buying their garment because it's not 50 people that you have to go through to talk to someone who has power. You're generally talking to the person. So it's one thing where transparency is like it's needed for brands that are very big and in some ways can be significant polluters. But for small brands, I worry that people will be like, well, I just don't feel you're transparent enough when that small brand is actually putting everything out there for you every single day without consumer demand. You know, I find that sustainability has just become essentially a marketing tool for bigger brands where they're not making significant change within their business model, but they want you to believe that they are. So they give you 
20 pieces of sustainable clothing. So you can go, oh, well, they're a sustainable brand, but actually those 20 items account for 1% of what they're doing, which doesn't make them sustainable at all. It's one of those things where even like in the Fashion Revolution Transparency Report, it was noted that brands did not want to be open about the amount of volume that they were creating. And so the volume is the issue. Like a lot of things are the issue. The treatment of people is the issue. But if you are creating, you know, 100 garments a minute daily, you know, I had heard 500 Mm. at some point. I'm not sure about that stat. But let's just say 100. That's actually not really a sustainable business because you're significantly polluting Mm. the earth with a lot of clothing where some of it won't even get sold. Some of it will go directly to the landfill. And so until the bigger brands start to talk about where their consumption ends, um, I will never consider them sustainable because the world and the planet cannot sustain that amount of unchecked capitalism where you are draining seas of water so that you can grow cotton, where you're, you know, making garments that go straight into the landfill, but taking resources from countries that are resource rich, but not economically rich. That's just not a sustainable business for me. And unfortunately, that's the vast majority of the big brands. Exactly. I was reading a very disturbing fact earlier that according to Planet Aid, Planet Aid is an American nonprofit organization who focus on collecting clothing and other household items for resale and recycle. Anyway, every year, according to Planet Aid, more than 80 billion articles of clothing are produced and sold around the world. 80 billion. I mean, that's just a staggering amount. It is. And especially when we know that so many, 95% of clothing is thrown out, out of, after six months. I mean, what is happening to all these clothes? As people are Murray, Murray quandoing their wardrobes repeatedly, they seem to have the notion that these things are disappearing, but they're not. I don't want to even blame Murray Kondo because I think that people have taken a very watered-down version of mm. her ultimate thing. Um, and her goal is excellent. I agree. I'm also not having a go at her. I think if you repeatedly do it is the problem. If you're going, oh, I'm going to do it with my wardrobe again. What, which is something I've never done. I've always appreciated the way she looks at items. And I think that mm. people need to take her methodology into the stores. Like, is this item actually going to bring you joy in six right. months? And if it isn't, it needs to stay on the rack. And so, yeah, right. it's just a problem where people like water down things like, oh, look, she told me to throw this away. No, actually, that's not what she was really championing. No, exactly. You can't do Quando light. I've never been one of those people who has felt very comfortable with putting everything into a bag and giving it to a charity mm. shop. I used to volunteer in a charity shop. And I think, and I remember starting to grasp how bad the problem was because I was just opening bags and bags and bags all day of clothes. It was just never ending and exhausting. And I just remember thinking, how can we be buying and consuming this much? And also like, if this is just one charity shop in a slightly affluent area, let's Mm. just think about all of the charity shops in the world. And when you think about that and you think about that amount of stuff, it's just like, it makes your stomach drop. It does. It absolutely does. Um, Especially when there are so many textiles that can be recycled. I mean, 95% of textiles can be recycled, but that's not happening because we still don't have that mindset. We don't have the infrastructure either. Like our our governments aren't prioritizing that at all. But I think you get something prioritized like that when you actually have a push from the general public. So that hasn't really... That's really true. I noted um, a a few years ago, I, I think it was probably about three or four years ago, the EPA in the US estimated that I think it was 2.3 million tons of textiles had been recycled, which is of course, brilliant. And thus they avoided being disposed of in an an, an environmentally friendly manner. Um, And they claim that the environmental impact of this number was the same as taking 1.2 million cars off the road. Wow. I mean, that it's a huge opportunity that we all have. Yes. And if you look at, I mean, every cotton t-shirt, people go, oh, I bought organic cotton. That's fantastic. Or I have cotton and I'm buying these natural fibers. Yeah, that's, that is of course great. But the amount of water that goes into making a cotton t-shirt is staggering and is enough to actually hydrate you for three years or something. If you're not wearing it like at least 50 times, then it's still kind of a waste. I mean, the shirt that I'm wearing today has been worn 50 times and it is really Mm. really nice cotton. Um, Yeah. But that's the problem is that you can buy the best of 
everything but if you aren't giving it a good life and like taking care Mm. of it and really respecting it then like all you're doing is just more consumption without thought exactly blind consumerism it's killing us that's always bothered me was when you see these um, big mass productions of female front kind of feminist t-shirts and it's always so ironic that these things are made in sweatshops by marginalized women in other countries so I wanted to talk a little bit about intersectional feminism versus fashion Um, can you call yourself a feminist if you're actively or blindly supporting a broken fashion system well, yes and no. Here's the thing. We're all a part of it. Like, I will never, ever be like, oh, I never bought fast fashion. That's ridiculous. The jeans I'm wearing today are well-loved and splitting in the crotch, but they are fast fashion. But they're also about, like, <laughs> six years old. I've taken very good care of them. But that didn't mean that I wasn't a part of a cycle, you know? And at some mm. point, we all were because none of us were thinking about it. Now, if mm. you have the statistics and you have the facts and you continue to participate in the system while changing nothing about the ways mm. in which you operate, then no, I would not say that you can come to my feminism party, um, you know, because I just think that's not fair. But we always have to bring privilege into the conversation because not right. everyone can afford to to move away from these oppressive systems, you know. So mm. I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of um I have I have some privilege in a way that I can make better decisions so I think it's about awareness and what you choose to do with that some people can't get out of this system because let's talk about size inclusivity okay a few brands Mm. really really are not interested in including bigger people in the conversation so I can't go to someone and say oh, you only buy fast fashion, you're a bad person if brands simply won't make their size. So it's a very complex question. But I would say to the people at the top of the food chain, able-bodied, skinny, middle-class, upper-middle-class people who have the ability to make better decisions, if you were actively... And have the knowledge. And have the knowledge. If you're actively choosing not to, then no, I'm sorry, you can't come to my feminism party. Yeah, agreed with that. It's it's all very it's very layered. It's very gray so area. Caveats there, you know, about like knowledge and who's who's allowed knowledge and who's allowed privilege. So it is, yeah, it's a very great question. I mean, we have to realize that sustainability is still fairly new. Um, it's mm. it's new and it's old. It's old in the fact that indigenous and people without means have been practicing sustainable standards for a very long time. It's new to the general public in the ways that we apply it to our buying habits. And I find that a lot of people will take one thing and go, oh, I'm looking at this one thing, like a transparency report and judging everyone based off of the fact that they didn't make $400 billion last year. So therefore, couldn't even be rated by the sustainability support report. That's when it becomes that's when it becomes very problematic. So I always tell people you can't just look in one place for information. If you really, really genuinely like a brand, do digging on just that brand. You know, you don't have to read every like sustainable thing that comes out. But right. if you like a brand and you really, really want to know is this a brand I should be supporting, there's so much information out there on the internet. That's a great tip, actually. You don't need to know everything about every single brand. Just go to the ones you like. I love these guys. What are they doing? What are they doing wrong? How can I make them do more? Yeah, and the problem is I think we're just so bombarded with want in our society that we do right. like we have to care about all the things. I mean, we're bombarded with so many advertisements. The minute you leave your house, hell, if you're even on your phone, on Instagram, you know, so we feel like we have to get involved in all the things when in actuality maybe just focus on the thing that you really really you know I like this brand but I want to make sure that they're not being involved in a factory collapse so I need to do some digging there and that's very very easy to do. Interesting you're talking about sustainability obviously being around for 
a very long time, but in terms of looking at it from an economic point of view, I suppose, it's almost in polar opposite to what we've been spoon-fed our whole lives of capitalism. It's polar opposite to fast fashion. It, yeah, we, we have been told our whole lives, consume, consume, consume. The more you have, the glossier, the shinier, the better, which is why it's interesting as a business model when we're living in a capitalist society. So how can businesses kind of marry the two because they have to participate I suppose in capitalism because that's how our structures are set up right now but they must remain sustainable it's a real juxtaposition how do you advise you know I don't have all the answers we're we're figuring this out and I feel like I feel like for businesses it's going to be hard until there's a shift in consumer thinking among the general public because right now one thing we know is that like Small brands can be doing everything right, but they're still going to get a question every day from someone being like, Oi, why is your dress this cost when I can go to Zara and get it for this price? Like, why can't you match their price? Like, they can't match their price because they're not producing 250000 of a dress and therefore needling the factory down to a basement barrel price you know they they can't compete because every person in their supply chain is paid a fair wage they're not ripping anyone off one of the things that people refuse to acknowledge is that the only way that fast fashion really works is if there's exploitation in the margins the only way that you can have a business where the people at the top are billionaires and the people at the bottom live on pennies per day and coincidentally the people at the bottom are doing the hardest, most backbreaking work, which is right. putting the clothing together. And right. the only way that system can survive is if there's exploitation in it. And so mm. unfortunately for businesses, what we need most is we need consumer awareness and a conversation about consumption in our society. And until that happens, it will be challenging for businesses, which is why I strive on my platform to make people aware of these things. Because once you know, then maybe you don't go to the small business and go, oh, I just feel like your jacket's really expensive, you know? You know that that small business is charging that price because that's what they need in order to survive. Right. And we also have to have a conversation about the price of clothing because one of the things that I always remind people is that the price of clothing is artificially, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It hasn't gone up with inflation. So everything Mm. else, we actually pay less money for our clothes than our grandparents did. You know, everything else in our society has gone up with inflation, the cost of houses, the cost of cars, cost of education. Clothing has gone down. Why is that? Because it Mm. has so much exploitation built inside of it. Fast fashion has gotten us used to one price. And that price is one where somebody is usually being exploited. I think so often, I mean, as you touched on before, we've all, when fast fashion burst on the scene, we all thought, whoa, and none of us really delved into what was happening straight away because it felt like a bit of a victimless crime. And it was amazing. You'd get this cool new outfit and it cost <laughs> nothing and you'd, you'd wear it twice. And then you didn't really think. We weren't thinking beyond the steps. The minute you start put two and two together and you go, holy shit, this stuff doesn't work. It's not good. Who's paying the price here? That's when you stop delving into to those systems, but it still wasn't years later until I actually thought about what was happening. I stopped purchasing because I found the quality to be poor, but I didn't think about what was happening until Rana Plaza. We live in these silos of privilege, and that was my silo of privilege that I chose to... What affected me with fast fashion was that it wasn't good enough, Yeah, not that it was exploitation. For me, my incentive was that there was no return on fast fashion. So I began to look at, I began to, first of all, I had a fashion blog and I was buying clothing because all of a sudden I was, you know, in a position where all these people were blogging. Some of them had really fancy clothing. So I was buying more than I probably would, but still wearing it. But I just wasn't comfortable with my consumption. So when I got out of fashion blogging, I slowed it down majorly. And I started to really look at these systems. And one thing I realized was that fast fashion just felt like I was throwing my money away. We think that it's so cheap. But the truth is, from the minute you enter certain stores, those stores have been laid out by a psychologist to encourage you to spend money. I started to view fast fashion as a bad return on my money because ultimately, 
most fast fashion has very little value when we're done with it. Nobody wants to resell it. Nobody wants to rebuy it. So with the better brands, I could at least sell them on eBay for like, you know, $20, $25. With fast fashion, nobody wanted it. And it made me think about my great grandmother, who was pretty much a lifetime smoker. Right. And the only reason she quit was because she said she saw her money going up in flames. Right. And so it was very similar with me, where it was just like, this is a total waste of my money. Yeah. You know, when I actually buy brands that have value that people enjoy, I know that even if I change my mind or it just stops being my style, mm. that somebody somewhere else might want it and then I can get a little bit of money back or a fast fashion. It was just like, it's like throwing your money in the bin. I think also with fast fashion, there's no joy to it. There was no joy in the, in the purchase. I mean, before fast fashion jumped onto the scene, I was buying nice pieces. My friends used to kind of say, oh, sometimes you dress like an old lady because I did. I'd buy these kind of long-term things. I was not at all sensible in my 20s apart from that. I definitely was thinking long-term with pieces that I was buying and then fast fashion came and I kind of bought some trendy, crappy shit for a couple of years. There was no joy in the purchase. There was always a little bit of guilt. And I didn't know what the guilt was. And I think it was just because it felt so disposable, the whole thing. It always felt so temporary, so disposable. Yeah. And therefore, there was no there was no joy to be with the buying of the thing. You know, you, you look at a really beautiful jacket and it costs a zillion dollars and you go, I'm never going to be able to afford it. And then you start to put money away and you finally get it and you wear it for 10 years. And there is joy in that on a daily basis. It's so joyful. Yes. It's a full investment. Yeah, totally. And every time you take it out, you have this feeling of like, Oh, and I just, I wasn't getting that from fast fashion at, not all. at all. And what you were saying about the guilt, I would not feel the guilt until I got home. So I would get the dopamine rush in the store. Mm. You spend the money. It's so exciting. <laughs> Huge rush, especially with the skinny mirrors that they put in there. You look fabulous when you're trying it on there. You're like, oh, wow, look at that butt. And you get home and you go, that's not you the same butt. You get home and you are just like, uh, the guilt would be immediate when I walked in the door and I looked at my shopping bags. I'd just be like, what have I done? Why did right. I buy all of this stuff? But I'd still be like, oh, I'm so excited about my new clothing. But deep down inside, I was just like, I didn't need all this stuff. And I don't know why I bought all of it. No, what were we trying to cover up? I think my another wakening up moment for me was I'd be so excited about it until I'd get home and I'd hide it from me my too. mother. I'd hide it because I know that she, <laughs> yeah, I think we all did. We'd hide it. Like they were our husbands or something because we knew that she'd be like, yeah. that's not no, cool. No, I was the same. I, w I would <laughs> hide from my mother. Sometimes I'd leave the shopping bags in the car and then go back out and, and get them. Yes, absolutely. Them. Or I'd just say, I don't need a shopping bag. And it wasn't like I was being, <laughs> I was just hiding it from my mother. Oh, it's terrible. Look, we were talking a little bit about entitlement and privilege before, and I wanted to touch on white privilege, which is a humongous beast. Um, how does it adversely play out or affect sustainable fashion? Um, and I guess we can even take it a step further and discuss how white supremacy is impacting our fashion systems. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Celine has done amazing work about this. I always reference her work, but the same colonialist lines that have existed mm. for hundreds of years are essentially our fashion paths. Like we take our resources from countries mm. in the global South, just like we've done with food, you know, and yeah. other spices, whatever. So we go to countries in the global South and we take the resources from there we consume the labor force, which is something that my my lovely country of England knows a lot about, you know, so we we do that. And then the garments are shipped to more affluent countries and we consume it. We, we go and buy it and then feel guilty about it, but we wear it because we feel guilty about it. And then you decide that you don't like it or the quality wasn't good. So then you take it and you give it to charity. And this is where white saviorism comes into play. People in developing countries don't want your ratty fast fashion. Like they don't, mm -hmm. but we do that. We put it in a bag because we have this idea that like, you know, somebody in Rwanda or Ghana or Kenya is really going to want this like ratty falling apart, disgusting shirt. And what we have is a rotting clothing mountain in Accra and Ghana mm -hmm. because of stuff like that. And clothing arrives by the ton into those countries every day and they don't want it to the point where like, 
um, Rwanda, I think, tried to put some sanctions in so that the U.S. would stop sending clothing, quote unquote, donations. And Donald Trump, lovely, lovely person that he is, basically threatened to take away other aid if they didn't take the clothing. So it's like, you'll take our shit clothing and you'll like it, you know? And it's, it's, like- it's exploitation on another level, too, because these these countries sell their waste to these countries. At least when we're doing that, we are. At least when the countries in which we're living are doing that, at least there's a trade. You know, I'm not saying yeah. it's good. It's toxic colonialism at its worst. But when they're selling waste to these countries, at least it's a trade. But when we're just donating, quote, quote, clothing and so forth, we are literally just putting, pushing it back on them with no trade-off of their own. They're not getting anything for it. They're not being paid to take our landfill. They are simply being donated to and then being threatened by the, the presidents of the world. I mean, it's repulsive. You know, fast fashion hurts small makers because they can't compete. How is a small maker in a country that's been traditionally pillaged supposed to compete with a three-cent T-shirt? You know, right. so we've, we've essentially put the makers of those countries out of business because they can't compete with our cast-offs. It's a horrible system. It's a fucking horrible system. It's so broken. In terms of sustainable fashion, um, how can we ensure that the future is more diverse and more inclusive? How can we ensure that everyone is included in sustainable fashion in the future? Look at who holds the microphone and who holds the power. Here's the thing. If you want to wonder if a company is sustainable or true in their method of their message of feminism, look at the corporate board. The Mm. corporate board of that company, all rich white men if that is true, maybe they're not as feminist as they say they are. Right. You know, if they so all look like we, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> then we all, maybe not. We, yeah, we need a shift in power. We need right. we need to have people holding the mic who have diverse voices, and mm. diverse voices is a lot of different things. And we also can't build a sustainable fashion movement, but not make plus sizes. That's done. You know, it's, it's yeah. old. It's it's. It's unfair to lock out portions of the population, but then claim that the movement is for everyone. If everyone can't dress themselves, then the movement is not for everyone. And so we really have to just, the most important thing you can do if you really want to build a better movement is realize how much privilege you have and whether or not your voice should dominate conversations. I think my big advice is that if you want a better movement, recognize if you have privilege, you don't need to be holding the mic. If you want to make the movement better, amplify the voices of people who aren't always heard. And that's how you can make a better movement. Okay, on to the heavy, the heavy shit, climate change. Um, You and I have talked before about how all our big problems, colonization, exploitation, capitalism, climate change, they're all intrinsically linked. Can you talk a little bit about this, please? Yeah, so climate change is already happening. We just don't see it because, well, you're in the global south, so you do actually see it. In Australia, those those fires, that's climate change. Oh, yeah, we're seeing it. And and the funny thing, the biggest conundrum is fast fashion brands like making T-shirts to benefit the wildfires of Australia. Like if you want to actually help out, maybe just change the system in which you run your business because that's a direct contributor to the wildfires in Australia. Like it's it's the most, it's the biggest cop out ever. But so we're already seeing climate change in countries in the global South. Now, many countries in the global South are dominated by marginalized black and brown people. So we're already seeing the effects of that. And that's horrible. But colonization is tied to that because we're still participating in these systems that's just amping up climate change. The people that are consuming the most amount of the world's resources don't actually live in the global south, you know? So America, where I'm from, I think uses one eighth of the world's natural resources. We'll probably be the last group to like see the effects of climate change, even though we yeah. know it's coming. Some people Except deny it, like the president of the United States. Yeah. Um, but Miami's um, in a bit of trouble. 
Florida, bye-bye, but yeah, other parts of America should be fine and they won't see. I mean, other small, as you were saying in the South, Bangladesh is in a whole lot of trouble. It's happening now. Fiji is facing huge problems now. I mean, Tuvalu, which is a small, small island off Fiji, it's in dire straits and there's no other way to put that. There is um, an island on the, t- on the north side of Australia called Torres Strait and there are indigenous people to Australia and they're facing huge problems. And I saw a man called Fred Geller talk about it and he's the mayor of Torres Strait. He basically was standing there yelling to a bunch of white people. He was speaking beautifully, saying, we need help. We need help. And and like, what will it take for people to wake up? You know, we'll see the effects of it in the global north when like there's disruptions in our food chain. I've told people what we're experiencing with the pandemic. That's this is a dress rehearsal for climate change. One of the one of the effects of climate change that people talk about is a rise right. in infectious diseases, food insecurity. So the alarm bells have been sounding for many years now, but like we're starting to really, really feel it. And unfortunately for many humans, we have to like see it to believe it. But like we're seeing it. Wake up, you know? I think that's the thing. We're definitely seeing it. It's, you know, obviously I'm Australian, so it was heartbreaking for me to watch my country burn and to see so many horrible things happen. But, I mean, this is metaphorically happening all over the world and has been for some time. It was kind of telling that it took the darling of, of the world, good old Aussies, everyone loves their Aussies, you know, it took the world to see that happen before they paid attention. They didn't care when it was happening in other communities of primarily brown or black people. They cared when it was happening to Australia because Australia is a desirable place for them to visit. People were bothered. They took it personally because they have a vested interest in Australia because of its privilege. That really bugged me. Obviously, I was disgusted with what was happening in Australia, but I was also disgusted that it took that, it took it to happen to a privileged country for people to give a shit. The the thing is, everybody knows also that when the Amazon burns, that's the lung of our planet, you know? And so... It was just like everyone kept talking about it, but nobody was talking about doing anything. And I also feel like if we're talking about politics in some ways in the current political system that we're in, it almost feels like you're strapped in a car with a drunk driver who doesn't believe in stopping for reds. Like that's (laughs) what I would describe having Donald Trump and Boris Johnson as leaders feels like. Like, yeah. It's so in some ways, it's it's really like this feeling of just like, oh, my goodness, there's nothing I can do. But I don't want to leave people without hope, because I think if we want to stop this, we need to elect leaders that will actually give a shit about this. And like a lot of our current leaders do not give a shit. No, they don't. They, they give a shit about money and their own power. And that's it. And as long as our systems are set up to support both power and money, they will keep doing it. Men will be drawn to be toxic and women will support them and the world will continue as it is. Or even women will be drawn to be toxic. I didn't think that Theresa May cared too much about the environment or anything, you know. So we really have to talk about all of these systems because politically it matters. It really does. Yeah, and using your voice um, when and where you can in whatever way you can is so, so important these days. And, uh, again, people that just kind of say, oh, that's horrible, shake their head and then go and have their fourth latte for the day. I think that's not fucking good enough, guys. No, <laughs> say it's it fucking isn't. horrible and send an email or tell your mate or write a Facebook set or something. Just do something. You don't have to be perfect, but do something. No, you yeah. don't. You And, you, yeah, the world will be a better place when we – really, really thoroughly deconstruct all of these systems. Hell yeah. There'll probably be butterflies everywhere consistently floating around our heads. Um, Just another quick question on climate change. How do you define kind of personal responsibility when it comes to climate change? It's hard because the thing is a lot of these systems can only change with legislation, can only change when the people in power start to give a shit and like we know that like most of the pollution of the planet comes from like a hundred companies a hundred companies are responsible for pretty much trashing our planet while i want to say that like yes we do have personal responsibility at the end of the day we actually just need political systems that prioritize this stuff because without that we're really really screwed um and i don't want to blame people personally because once again having just like 
the privilege to decide that you're going to shop from the small person. That's privilege that you have, you know, people will often use this to talk about like eating and dietary stuff. And I, I do get quite annoyed by that because like, all of our food systems are still based in colonization. You're not a better person because you're a vegan, you know, like unless you are growing and producing all of your own food on land that you have not stolen from indigenous people, then like you don't get to pretend like you are not like, like you're above it all. And so yeah, wave that finger elsewhere, vegany. It's, it's a really tricky one, but I think that if we want to save ourselves, we have to be vocal and we have to do more. You know, we have to start engaging people on these topics. We have to start using social media to talk about these topics daily. We have to start bringing this conversation to spaces where maybe people don't really want to hear that conversation because it is important. But as far as personal responsibility, I recognize that, you know, it's very hard to like, things if you don't have a certain amount of privilege or time or whatever like just sitting down to write a letter to a politician that means that you need you, you got time you know for someone who might have three kids who are home because of the pandemic they might not have that time you know so I recognize that essentially it all comes down to starting by giving a fuck I mean giving a fuck is it's the new black people so it, it looks good on everyone and back to sustainable fashion, I, I guess I wanted to talk more specifically on the style side of sustainable fashion. And is the notion of sustainability a politically motivated choice from the outset? If so, how? It is if you are actually doing this with thought and intention. But if you just walk into a store that sells sustainable clothing and you're like, I have a bunch of disposable income and I'm going to buy an entirely new wardrobe and then I'm going to donate all my fast fashion to a charity shop, then no, there's nothing political about that. You're just participating in capitalism as always. If you are someone who's like, okay, I have these items from a fast fashion company and I'm going to wear them and give them a long life. And then I'm going to start replacing them mm -hmm. with better pieces or this is a business I really like. So I'm going to be intentional and buy something from this business. And then I'm going to give it a long life. That's intentional and being political and how you spend your money. But like any rich person can walk into any sustainable store and buy everything in sight. The person that decides that they're going to spend tons of money on all these sustainable designers and this and that isn't more sustainable than the person that's been shopping secondhand all along. They are. And so like, Completely. that's why we have to talk about privilege because on Instagram, mm. the conversation gets totally whitewashed to basically lift up the person who has the disposable income to support all the all the quote unquote good designers when in right. actuality they probably just joined the game recently and there's somebody who's mm -hmm. been buying secondhand clothing their entire life out of necessity who maybe should have a spot in this conversation. Right, absolutely. Uh, the people that are buying it out of necessity and also the people who are buying it to align with their values. You can't exactly. buy your values. So no matter how much money you have and if you suddenly decide that you're a sustainable fashion advocate and you go and you buy the whole Stella McCartney, who is great, Stella McCartney collection, yeah. that does mm -hmm. doth not make you sustainable, darling. It just makes you rich. So, yeah, you have you have to align the whole movement with your values. Why are you doing it? What are you doing it for? Where do you fit within the movement? Yeah, it can't just be something that you dip your toe into. And it's like, oh, I bought the sustainable piece. So, like, nobody talk to me. I'm good. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm across it all, guys. <laughs> now, what kind of styling tips do you have for people who do align their values with what we're talking about and go, you know what, I, I understand that this is a problem. I do have privilege. I want to put it, I want to put my money where my mouth is. So the first thing I always tell people is, Find out your style because the most sustainable garment is one in your closet that is well loved. Part of fast fashion is that it allowed us to experiment too much. And sometimes we'd be mm. like, oh, I'm into this. And then you get it and you're like, no, I'm not into this. Got to buy something new. So yeah. I always tell people, figure out what your personal style is first and foremost. When you really know what your style is, you make fewer mistakes in what comes into your closet. You still make mistakes. I do all the time, you know, but 
it's not to the point where I'm constantly buying and then deciding that none of this was actually me and I need to buy more things. I, I generally advise people about how to get off the fast fashion boat. And one of the best tips that I, there's, there's like three things. So the first thing, unsubscribe from all of the emails because that's how mm. they get you. Sale, sale, mm-hmm. sale, sale every day. Get a sale, get a thing, you need it. So unsubscribe from all the emails. But I also tell people, if you feel tempted to go into the stores, and I do, I go in all the time to like look and see who they're ripping off and like, mm. you know, what designers they've decided to copy and whatever. Mm. I do go in. But one thing I always do, I never go into a fast fashion store wearing something that I don't like because what I find is if I wear an item that I really love that's really nicely made when I go into that store I won't be tempted to buy anything because I Mm -hmm. will automatically in my brain compare the quality of what is on the rack to what I am wearing and if that quality is less then you're not as tempted to buy the thing. But if you go into a store when you're having a really shit day and you're wearing the shitty work trousers that you hate, of course you're going to buy something. You need a fantasy. You need something to uplift you. So if you're eating lobster, you're not likely to go, I need that disgusting, sloppy French fry. Although if I'm honest, if the French fry is covered in cheese, I'll have one. <laughs> I know, no, you know what? French fry is such a bad example. I couldn't think of anything that was disgusting. The only thing I could think of was oysters, but everyone seems to love them except for me. So scrap that whole narrative. <laughs> but yeah, so I basically tell people if you are starting to feel moved by all of this, Try and think about taking a break from fast fashion. And guess what? If you in this pandemic are not shopping as much, you're already taking that break, you know? So Mm. all you really need to do is to not go back to it. All you really need to do is fall in love with your wardrobe. If you, okay, I'm getting sick of my clothing, just like every person. Join a wardrobe app and swap with other people, you know? Like if you really, really feel like you're going to need a pick-me-up when you get out of here, that might be a better fit than jumping right back into the fast fashion game. It's so true. The good thing about buying something of better quality is there are no mistakes, really, because even if it's not for you and in two months' time you go, you know what, it's not quite right. It's not fitting with the rest of my wardrobe. I don't feel comfortable in it. My boobs look funny in it, whatever. You just whack it back in that circular system and it's going to be right for someone else because it's quality and it'll still have value and in our society we have to have a conversation about like how we value our stuff because that's the problem we've made everything disposable and that's that's part of the problem okay let's um do a little bit of crystal ball gazing i want to know what sustainability question do you think someone really needs to ask you that they haven't asked you yet how do we get incentives in place for clothing recycling I wish people would ask me that question more. Okay. I've just asked you that question. (laughs) Yeah. So I think for once again, I hate to go back to legislation, but like Mm. our politicians respond to the things that we raise a stink about. And Mm. so if we start to talk about how textile recycling is important, I mean, even in the UK, the fixing fashion report, which, which happened last year, there were some really easy to implement addendums to that report and Mm. members of parliament soundly rejected every single one of them. Now, if there is actual pressure from the general public Mm. about the report next time, Mm. politicians won't be so quick to reject every single thing that's being suggested about taxing fast fashion. They won't. And so they want to get voted in again. Yes. So what we really need is we we need the general public to raise some noise about this to make make it clear to your your members of parliament that like this is something that you care about that we need these infrastructures we need to start figuring out about textile recycling and doing a better job with that. Right. The power of the lobby is very misunderstood. There are so many bespoke templates out there for people that do have time. The power of lobbying is crazy good because. The point of being a politician is you want to be re-elected. And if enough people kick up a stink and say, hold on, dipshit, we need you to do A, B and C, they'll go, oh, okay. Even if they don't actually believe in it. They actually care about it. Oh, I God. know. What a shit that is. I'm going to have to put it on. 
they need to know that you care because if they don't know, then like nothing gets done. And so being vocal, you know, even if you don't have time to get out in the streets and protest, you could still just be vocal. You know, you could you could do that. That's I think I I feel like you got it in you. It is another crystal ball gazing on one. It's what does the fashion industry look like in 10 years? If Aj is running the world, what does it look like? Fast fashion has downsized a lot. And the people that run these businesses have realized that it's not acceptable for them to be billionaires while the people that make their clothing live in poverty. And so they have essentially used some of their money to make these Mm. systems better. Billions of dollars of their money. They still have a cycle of fast fashion, but they have helped to put textile recycling into place. They use only recycled fabrics and they have downsized Mm. their business, but they have also pledged to make sure that garment workers are now included as employees of their companies and making livable wages. So nobody in fast fashion is a billionaire anymore. That's just not going to happen because that's an exploitative system. At the same time, because they're not making as much stuff, that actually gives rise for small business to come in and give them a little bit of competition because monopolies are bad for us. So the brands that I like all of a sudden have, you know, offices in London where they employ people and pay everyone a fair wage. And some of the manufacturing does come back to England because we don't make enough stuff over here anymore. Some of the manufacturing does return to America because it's good to sort of keep some things closer to home. That's not to say we don't manufacture overseas at all. I don't want that to happen. But we spread some of the labor around so that it's not just, you know, Mm. poor black and brown people doing all of the heavy lifting, essentially. And so small business has a place. Fast fashion slows down their cycle so they stop being so fast. But you know what? Mm -hmm. I'll let them live if they stop trashing the planet, you know? (laughs) So... (laughs) That's what thir- that's what the you're, fashion industry looks like to me in 13 years. You're not a merciless bitch. Don't let I'm anyone not, ever tell you. Despite what people say. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, I'll let you live, but if you like take swipes at something that's mine, I'll swipe at you right back. Yeah, fair enough, lady. I hear that. <laughs> okay, now, 13 quick short answer questions. These are a bit of fun. Are you ready? Yes. The timer yeah. is on the clock. Ding! I'm ready. Okay. okay, home city. So rest in Virginia, but biggest city is Washington, D.C. It's a suburb okay. of D.C. Right. Favorite city? London or Tokyo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hear that as well. <laughs> um, define your personal style in three words. Quirky art teacher. Oh, I love that. Um, style icon? Oh. I don't have one. Apart Um, from me, of course. Obviously. uh, (laughs) I I really actually, I don't have one currently. I don't have a favorite celebrity either. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll say Josephine Baker. That banana skirt is iconic. Yeah. I'm with that. Okay. (laughs) Your tips for a greener or more equitable planet. Get political. We need laws in place to regulate things. Good. Um, Words to live by? We all do better when we all do better. I like it. Uh, What is your favorite aspect of your work? The people easily. Every day, like I get tired of people asking me questions and trying to take up huge portions of my time. But I also really love chatting with people online about this stuff. It's really rewarding. And I would say... 80% of people I interact with are an absolute joy. The other 20% can go to hell. Yeah, Um, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Favorite drink? Um, A matcha latte, or as my friend Kay calls it, the tipple of wankers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, she might be onto something. Okay, where am I? Sorry, favorite movie or book? I really like the film Sliding Doors. Right. It's a classic 90s. It's so 90s, isn't it? Um, but I always, um, when I was having a bad hair day, I'd always look at myself and go, oh, you're Gwyneth in sliding doors before she goes cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I know it's not working for me. Um, okay, three people you want at your dinner party and why? Um, 
I'd invite Alice in Wonderland, make her serve tea. Uh, mm. Maybe the Queen of Hearts as well. Um, now that you said fictional, now it's going to go on forever. Winnie the right. Pooh, who'll make some honey. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I think people expect me to say like fashion designers, but like, yeah. I love this trippy little party. No, I, I think that having all cartoon characters would be quite fun. Where am I now? Okay, three things found, always found in your luggage or handbag. A book, because if you're going to be made waiting, you might as well read. We always say, like, we don't get enough time to read. So that's why mm. you bring a book and you arrive early and then you get your 20 minutes in. Um, Burt's Bees Lip Balm, I've been using it since I was probably about 13 years old. It's a mm. classic. And mm. headphones. Headphones always. Right. Um, when where, when you're not working, we'll find you where? In ballet class. Love it. Um, and lastly, what is your advice for someone looking to improve their understanding of entitlement? Privilege is invisible to those who have it. Perfect. Thank you so much, my love. I really appreciate this. And, I, I, you know, talking about people taking up so much of your time, you've given me endless amounts of yours since we first met. And I love you for it. And I appreciate you very much. Thank you for listening to Giving a Fuck is the New Black. Today's show was hosted by me, Joe Lorenz, produced by Lucy Lucraft and brought to you by Conscious Citizen Co. If you've enjoyed today's show, please remember to subscribe via iTunes. And if you'd like to learn more about today's guest or get in touch with me, then please head to our website, ConsciousCitizen.co. Until next time, folks, please consider giving a couple of fucks.